Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. We've got some really great guests with us today. Katie and Jean Hamilton are the authors of several books. Um, probably most recently, I think, is uh, Great Loop Cruising, Two on a Trawler. And I'm sure they'll share a little bit about that book, but we're also going to focus on their Coastal Cruising Under Power book, which we're going to use today to talk a little bit about uh, the lifestyle of extended cruising and kind of how you get there. Um, and we're also going to talk a little bit about stargazing on the Great Loop, which is one of their other hobbies. So as soon as we get through the business at hand, I will bring Katie and Jean in. But uh, first, let me take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral Level sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Jean and Katie Hamilton, thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's great to be here. Hello. Yeah, we appreciate you joining us because you've got a lot of experience and, and have done a lot with sharing your boating experience. So if we can start, just share a little bit about your background um, and how you came to write these books <laughs> well you know we're we're in another generation I mean we're uh, we're very active but we're very old also so <laughs> we've had a lot of experience doing it it started we lived in Chicago on the Great Lakes and uh, I had a roommate who uh, had a sailboat and I went sailing with him and that was the end you know <laughs> you were hooked uh, right there <laughs> yeah yeah we got into it and for the first oh for about 10 years we sailed out of Chicago and did, did sailboat racing and, and got I got into the bigger size boats, which then led me into an idea, which I talked Katie into doing, is uh, why not take some time off and go on a cruise? So uh, we we did, and we left in the, <clears throat> excuse me, mid-70s and went out to the East Coast and then sailed up through the Bahamas and stuff like that and came back. So that was our first adventure, and there's been a couple of other ones along, but that's basically how we got started into boating and then it just became a lifestyle. We wanted to, I, I'm a writer and I wanted to share the idea of how much fun cruising was. I did not like racing at all. Um, mm -hmm. I like going places and um, had a nice, nice style. <laughs> and uh, I didn't really enjoy the, the competition, but I loved going to new places and the Great Lakes have some wonderful, wonderful cruising grounds. And, when Jean started this idea about uh, taking a year off, we were teaching school at the time and renovating houses in the summertime. And uh, he brought home a book called uh, by National Geographic called The Inland um, Waterway. And he said, look, we can go all the way from Chicago down to the Bahamas or down to Florida in protected waters. And that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> it uh, it kind of uh, shaped everything we wanted to do from right. then on. So since then, you've continued to cruise and done a lot of cruising, but you've also, um, and Katie, you mentioned that you're a writer, so you've authored a few books uh, about your cruising experiences. So just tell us a little bit about those. Well, uh, Cruising Under Power, we, we had 
we had had five sailboats before we got a uh, a powerboat. So it was almost like entering a whole new arena. Uh, but we knew what we wanted from a boat, and we knew there were so many choices. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of staggering when you go to a boat show because you don't know where to look first. So we had written enough and um, had experienced enough of different type of boats that we put together an outline and said this this is really good information that we wish we had had when we uh, mm-hmm. when we ventured into the sport. Well, and when I took a look at coastal cruising under power, um, so much of it would be useful to our listeners that we couldn't possibly cover it all in one episode in our format here. Um, but what kind of what kind of struck me as an important part for what a lot of people I talk to when I'm out there at boat shows say, as I thought we could talk today about the cruising lifestyle. And there's a whole section of the book about the cruising lifestyle, and it touches touches on things that I get asked about a lot. Um, so talk about, you You kind of describe uh, some different cruising scenarios or different type of, of cruising you can do that, from a looping perspective, probably could be used as steps to take to get ready for doing an entire Great Loop. So can you talk about those different kind sure. of cruising styles you mentioned? Sure. It's, it's um, actually the progress that I, I think a lot of boaters start and maybe don't complete, but you usually start, you're working, you have weekends, and you cruise on weekends, and you go as far as you can go in that a lot of time. Uh, and then you kind of go further. You, if, as you, if you can get more free time, you can extend your cruising, and uh, you see so much more, but yet you put so much more into it as far as time and money is concerned. And then we took it a step further and said, you know, the first time we we left Chicago, we said we're going to uh, take a year off uh, and and live aboard the boat and experience it and see if we liked it. I mean, I don't think we knew enough to even consider living aboard full time. We were just it was an adventure that we wanted to take. And all the people that you meet when you cruise, that's what's so interesting, because they figured out ways to go boating and go cruising in many different ways and mm-hmm. and you learn from them you know uh how how they do it and if if money is no issue it's real simple most, <laughs> it's <That's> very right. <laughs> simple. but most people don't have unlimited resources so um i was always impressed by the different lifestyles that that people figured out how to spend as much time as they could on a boat Right. So I think I, I completely agree with you that for most boaters, there is that progression from kind of weekends and vacations cruising to doing a little bit more extended cruising um, and then eventually possibly to continuous cruising. Um, we do have more and more members, though, because the Great Loop is gaining in popularity, more and more people that are, are getting their very first boat to do the Great Loop. So I think that same progression can probably be um, uh the time frame over which you go from just the weekend boater to the extended cruising can probably be shrunk a little bit from what most people who have been lifetime boaters might have done, which I think is really interesting. But what we're also seeing is a lot more people um, doing kind of what you would describe as extended cruising or flex time cruising. Uh, more and more younger couples who either have the uh, ability to work from remote locations uh, or who have found ways to financially make it work to work aboard. So from your experience, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen out there, or some of the advice that you've heard, um, some opportunities to earn money while you're looping or extended cruising? Right. I think the 
technology today has changed everything. I mean, when we first started in 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 the 70s, uh, there weren't even cell phones. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, that wasn't wasn't even considered. So, uh, you know, the the cruises we met uh, weren't working aboard, but there, the, I don't know, there must have been a dozen people who who uh, had were barbers or learned how to be a barber and and they would set up at the end of the dock and do do stuff like that you know i think through the years probably at least half of the employees of of west marine or some of the local uh, marine (laughs) stores were loopers or cruisers and especially down in florida uh so there is opportunities but today i mean we have written oh probably a third of the book uh coastal cruising on the boat and uh that is possible uh but we met people who are technical writers we've met people who do marketing uh you know but these are all pretty uh let's say uh technical technical kinds of 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 work also mm-hmm. met a nurse who was a contractor. She was living on a boat in Annapolis, and she'd do a six-week or a 10-week contract with a hospital, and she was an uh, RN nurse, and that worked out great. Then they'd go down to Florida. She had another Florida hospital down there that she would work with. So mm-hmm. being creative, I, I think it is possible. Uh, but what we did uh, is we never cut our strings. I mean, we would rent our house out. We wouldn't sell the house. So we were full-time liveaboards, but we always had that backup, you know, that that little little backup. And the other thing that I was really surprised that people did, and I was a little, you know, uh, possessive, is they could take their boats and leave them and Mm -hmm. go home and then come back and continue the cruise. And, I mean, this would not just be for the loop. This would be just a cruise. You know, uh, there's probably 20% of the boaters down in Florida are Canadians, and they leave the boat down there all all uh, summer. Mm-hmm. And there are boat yards down there designed for that uh, right off the Okeechobee Waterway and stuff. There's places there's in the center of the state, so they're hurricane, pretty much hurricane-proof. Uh, and people will come down there and spend you know, the whole winter down there and then drive back because it's a mm-hmm. long trip for a boat to go up to Canada and back. But anyway, just the idea that uh, you would take your boat and you could leave it, you could extend it. We did that on on, on our loop cruise. Uh, we uh, broke it up into like three stages and uh, that worked for us. Mm-hmm. So on that kind of um, flex time sort of schedule where you're doing some extended cruising and then leaving the boat, whether it's on the Great Loop or not, what are some of the, the benefits that you found in going about it that way, and what were some of the challenges? Well, some of the challenges is finding a yard that you're going to be comfortable leaving your boat because it's amazingly, um, it's just the, the affection and dedication that you have to this uh, this fiberglass uh, hull <laughs> is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's taken you through a lot of uh, a lot of different conditions. So I think first thing is is doing your homework and certainly your website is the place uh to find yards that really specialize in in leaving a boat someplace for a long term time and your your and it doesn't have to be that long term but if it's over the winter and if it's up in the midwest you want to make sure that it's in a very safe place uh uh i suppose new england would even be worse as far as weather but um 
I think it's important that you can find a place where you would comfortably leave your boat and know that when you come back, uh, uh, it was going to be just the way you wanted it. We left, we left um, when we did the loop, we left a boat for a couple weeks in Lake Michigan, and uh, we had some work done on it then. And then we left it down at Dog River uh, in Mobile, and that was one of the best places uh, we could have been. Uh, so there, there's and there's places all over that I think cater to to long-term cruisers, just because they know not everybody can take that much time off, or even want to take a, a whole year all together off. I mean, everybody we knew went either home for Christmas or Thanksgiving or, you know, had their kids come down. So, um, you know, it's not like you're you're cutting all your ties when you cruise. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to, I guess is what I mean. Right. So you mentioned the importance of finding a yard that you're comfortable with if you're going to leave the boat for a few weeks or longer. Do you have any suggestions on, for perhaps somebody who's a newer boater, what types of things should they look for in that yard, or is it just a matter of asking for recommendations from other cruisers? Yeah, the recommendations are are uh, really important, but people have different relationships with with yards. I I've been at boat yards that I thought were pretty good, and some people said I'd never go back there. You know, it depends mm-hmm. upon upon your particular uh, you know uh, relationship with them. But what I'd I'd look for is is a is a is a yard that handles and caters to the type of boat you you're using you know a little more of the cruising type boats uh you have yards that maybe half the clientele are are are, uh, racing sailors and uh that's really what they do uh and then there are yards that that really specialize in and would have the you know skills to work on a diesel engine or larger diesel engine i'm assuming some of these boats would have. Well, I know they would have. It. They're big boats, uh, but that uh, that would be really uh, in, important to me. And also have have a travel lift and and really to look at their storage facilities and. I, I would look for. I'm a little more practical. I would. <laughs> I mean, that's practical, but I would look for a yard that has a really good. Um, bathroom facilities with a shower mm-hmm. and nearby a delicatessen or a place that I could go buy dinner. Uh, you spend a ridiculous amount of time just leaving your boat someplace, and then when you go back to pick it up, you're you're um, you know reprovisioning. So to me, I would want a place that that I could get things that I would need easily and mm-hmm. not be out. You can find some really good deals at yards that are out in the middle of nowhere, but that's not really if if you want to go cruising you want to get on the boat and go within a couple of days right. and you don't want to have to travel all over you know right. that brought up an idea that i had a loaner car is is a big deal oh gosh how could i forget uh, that yeah yeah and uh, it re- it really makes life simpler and most of the marinas would have that uh especially that would uh cater to uh uh, you know, cruisers, but that oh. that's really nice. You can run off and, and uh, even go to a movie or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, any yeah. marina when when yeah. you stay, I mean, it's nice. You you know, very often you'll stay for a couple of days. It's it's nice to have the use of a of a loaner car or be uh, you know accessible to an Uber or to an Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that kind of early on in your cruising, um, you went and kind of took a year off and went from Chicago to the Bahamas. 
Um, and you also kind of talked about you always still had that land base, so you rented out your home. Um, and if it's not too personal of a question, is there any, are there any tips? How did you manage to finance that or, or any tips on what people can do if they are not at retirement yet? And well, love we that idea very, of taking a week off and, and just cruising. I'm we sorry, a year off lucky. and cruising. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We were lucky because we had um, uh, gotten an assignment from a new boating magazine at the time, Power Cruising. And we sold them on the idea that Gosh, a six-part series on doing the loop cruise, wouldn't that be a good thing for their magazine? Mm -hmm. And they were brand new, and they really needed content. And um, Jean does really good taking pictures, and, the, you know, it was easy to write. Uh, we certainly had deadlines to do it, uh, but that was that was a, a wonderful way to finance a lot of our cruise. But I, I think you got to start with the basics, and you got to save money. And right. <laughs> realize, I mean, we would always joke when we first took our year off to go down to the Bahamas, we spent much less on marinas because we anchored out so much, and much more on wine. <laughs> we, we seem to always be, you know, sharing wine with uh, other boaters. So mm -hmm. I think. You know, you've, you've got some good resources about how to budget for it, but um, mm -hmm. if entertaining is your thing, and it's certainly not formal entertaining, but um, we were surprised that first year that um, we didn't spend as much on marinas as we thought we would. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I want to take a break here and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, the practicalities of uh, having kids aboard and also having pets aboard. Because as I mentioned, we are seeing more and more families or more people who are not retired getting ready to do the loop. Um, so more boats out there with kids. And of course, loopers have always had lots of pets. And those are some of the questions I get asked a lot. So we'll touch on that when we come back. Be back in a moment. Good morning, loopers. Many of you are probably already cruising in southeastern waters, and that is where the Salty Southeast Cruisers Net focuses all of its efforts to help you enjoy your time on the water. So as you prepare for the next leg of your journey, and as your resource for accurate, timely, and useful information, we want to invite you to use and add your knowledge to the wealth of information that's available through the Cruisers Net in its directories for marinas, bridges, and anchorages as well as the latest fuel prices in your area. Our mission of Cruisers Helping Cruisers, may we invite you to help those following in your wake by sharing with us your cruising experiences. Thank you. Have a great day. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guests today are Katie and Jean Hamilton, and they are the authors of Coastal Cruising Under Power, as well as Great Loop Cruising, Two on a Trawler. And today we're talking about some of the practicalities of getting started on planning for and doing a great loop or extended cruising. So let's shift now. Um, Jean and Katie, did you ever cruise with your own children aboard? We do not have children. So okay, we cannot so no. <laughs> have, have but, to admit it, it made life easier planning. Yes. It was easier to plan. Mm -hmm. But we right. met countless other people yeah. with their kids aboard. I mean, Remember yes. apple pie? Uh, yeah, this a, a little 30-foot sailboat. And mm -hmm. two darling kids who, you know, were taken out of school. And for the year, they came from Boston area. And these kids knew more about shellfish. And, and they, they just knew so much information about what was in the water beneath them. Mm -hmm. I was constantly impressed by what they had learned just by sitting in their little dinghy and um, looking into <laughs> the water. Yeah, uh, I think teenagers would be tough uh, to take along for a long period of time. And I only say that because 
I did see some disgruntled looking teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> teenagers always look disgruntled. <laughs> this is true. This is right, right. <laughs> but, you know, I discovered we used to be on, I was on larger crews in Chicago area on some of the big racy sailboats and, and the parents or the father who was, you know, would drag his kid along. And it took a while, but they discovered that there were girls at the yacht club. <laughs> and it changed everything. Yeah, that would do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That that, that will do it. Yeah. So it's funny. And I, I think as the kids grow up, they get into the they get into boating if, if I think the family really enjoys it. Right. And uh, I'll speak from the male part of it. I think the first time you start out on a cruise or you start on some adventure, I think you really have to be conservative weather-wise. Because we have met two or three couples that the wife was on the way to the airport. And it was because of the last, you know, big storm they went through or something. And with today's weather, you don't have to get involved in any of that kind of stuff, you know. Right. And uh, so I think that uh, the, the skippers, and it's not just the men, but the, the women, to be really, really conservative with the weather when you start out. You got a good boat. Boat's much better than you are, uh, but really take take a look at the weather, and I think it makes for a happy family and a, whole, a better cruise. Yeah, well, one of the, the rules I've heard that I love for, for looper boats is that it only takes one veto to not leave the dock on a particular day. So that's if you're not good comfortable rule. with the weather, right. um, that's, that's all it takes to stay put, which I love. The other thing I love about cruising families, and I, I call them boat kids, mm-hmm. uh, but they just are some of the – friendliest most comfortable with adults children that i know and i think it's because they are on the move and most of who they are interacting with are adults but we've had several families out there on the great loop in the last few years and many of them are on their second time around at this point they decided they liked that lifestyle and didn't want to put the kids back in traditional school um and probably one, the one exception to that is, is a family that did do it with a teenager who was kind of eager to get back to school. But now that he's back at school, I think he may be rethinking that whole plan yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Missing no, the Bahamas lifestyle. But, but too, I think when, you know, the kids become part of the crew, they have, you know, uh, duties that they should, that they're doing. You know, everybody you're on the bow at the line or you're doing something. Mm-hmm. But right. you're speaking uh, as equals with mm-hmm. parents. And I think a lot of kids don't really get that much interface uh, right. with, uh, and you get immediate feedback. I mean, you either screw up or you don't. And uh, uh, I, I think that really, uh, uh, really helps. But we've met wonderful families, uh, you know, on extended cruises. People, people, you know, if you're down the Bahamas on a sailboat, you meet all these, you know, crazy couples that have sailed across the ocean with their kids and all this kind of, I mean, not crazy, right. but, you know, you much more extended kinds of things as as you will meet on, on the on the loop cruise you know people that have been at at this for years and it doesn't take a big boat i mean it just it just takes a great attitude right so let's switch to pets what are some of your best tips for preparing to have pets aboard well we we have a cat we've always cruised with a cat or two cats and um 
uh, we've had litters born aboard, as a matter of fact. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Unbeknownst to us. And uh, so uh, we've always cruised with a cat, but I would say if anybody wants to meet other boaters, they need to take a dog because that is the best way. <laughs> All you have to do is walk down the dock with a dog. It doesn't have to be a cute dog. People <laughs> love talking to dogs, and it's mm-hmm. it's like this icebreaker uh, that uh, – you meet so many people, and um, I'm always amazed at some people will say that they're going to wait till their old dog dies mm-hmm. until they go on the loop cruise, which really threw me the first time I heard it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we know people that will change their boat for an, a, a dog who can't get up to the flybridge. Uh, right. Dogs are very important. All pets are. And um, I, I I can't think of a downside, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. And it you, doesn't, there doesn't seem to be a relationship exactly. I always look at the bigger the boat, the smaller the dog, because you get this guy in a 23-foot sailboat, and he's got a lab on it, you know, mm-hmm. a big lab. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it's just the dog, the kind of dog you want. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be big or small or, or, or in between, although – uh, the smaller ones seem to be much more popular on, on, on boats, at least on the loop cruises, the guys we met. And how hard is it from what you've seen for people to train their particularly older dogs um, to get used to being on the boat? And, and you know, okay, if you're think, in an anchorage, you have to get in the dinghy to take them ashore. Um, you know, well, that's the point. The but we, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but we know people who have taken AstroTurf and and put it on the front deck and, and trained their dog to do that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean. Eventually, they they want to go to sh- go ashore. Sure. But uh, we've always had cats, and so I can very superior already look out the window and see this guy rowing rowing his dog ashore. You know, every morning. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't have to do that with a cat. But <laughs> right. it is exactly. it it does become uh, part of the routine, and uh, uh, you you see it all over the harbor. You know, three or four dinghies going ashore and finding yeah. a good anchorage or a good place where you can get your dog ashore. I'd suggest there's a, I don't have it on the top of my head, but there's an anchoring book and it's, it's, it's rather new. I mean, five, six years old, but it gives information about shore. So when you, you know, if you pull into this cove to anchor, uh, there's a good place for the dog to go ashore. Cause otherwise mm-hmm. it's, you know, along the rivers and stuff, it's all muddy and it can be a real problem finding a good landing spot for your pet. So again, let's change the focus a little bit because one of the things I think that is very unique about you two um, is that you kind of approached us about talking about stargazing, which I thought was such a neat idea because on the loop, um, it's one of the things that you can do at night in the dark. So talk to us a little bit about how you got involved in stargazing and what you do in that respect. And then we can focus specifically about doing that along the loop. Sure. Well, when when I first started in Chicago sailing, uh, it was in the oh, early 70s, and the Loran chain hadn't been fi- uh, fixed completely. The the uh, transmitter in, in Canada wasn't operating. So there was no Loran. There was no uh, a, a lot of the modern navigation grid, certainly not GPS or anything like that. So uh, I picked up a sextant and, and uh, taught myself. Uh, at that time, the Naval Academy had even stopped teaching celestial navigation, so I had to get a couple of old books from the Naval from the library, and eventually used, uh, you know, got into that. And I've always admired the stars. I mean, boaters are the most lucky people in the world, 
unless they're in a bright harbor to look up at the sky because it's dark. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're losing a lot of the dark skies in the United States now or all, all over the world because of lights. But when you're out on the water at night and look up, it's just phenomenal. So we kind of took that along, and uh, when we have to have something to fiddle around with, so uh, when we got more shore-oriented, I got myself a telescope and and got crazy in that. Uh, but it doesn't need that, and and you, I would say you do not want a telescope on your boat unless you want to take it ashore. It's, uh, it's pretty easy to to do without even planning to do it because every cruising boat should have at least one pair of binoculars and and I would say every crew member should have their own pair because nobody's two eyes are alike and mm-hmm. you know you use binoculars all the time when you're boating you're looking for navigational marks you're looking at the end of a dock to read the number where you were just assigned but when you're not using it for a practical purpose at night, there is like constant live entertainment if there right. is a clear sky. And it's mm-hmm. it's just amazing to see. I mean, you don't have to, have to even know what they are, but just the, the broad spectrum of stars is, is pretty all-consuming. And, and once you see the full moon out there on a clear night, you really get hooked. So mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, you have the tool. I'm sure everybody is traveling with a good pair of binoculars and, um, Use them at night. You can you can lay on deck. You can lay up on your bridge. The easiest way is if you're at a dock is to get off the boat where it will certainly be more stable. Uh, but um, it's it's a it's a great way to spend the evening. Mm-hmm. What else is there? Anything else that you need to have besides binoculars? Well, no, but I would. They make uh, aster. Uh, really powerful binoculars but mm-hmm. the important part is i mean, i think probably the uh, 7 by 50 uh binoculars that are almost universally used uh is a is a good fit um they're good at night i mean they're designed to be used during the day or night but they have larger uh the end the far end of the uh, of the binocular is where the big lenses are and that's the light gathering capacity the uh, the small end that you put up on your, your to your eye is where the ma- magnification goes. If it gets up over maybe like ten times, like a seven by fifty would be seven power, seven magnification, and fifty millimeters of light gathering capacity. Once you get up into the tens, even using them on a boat becomes difficult because they're jiggly and they have a narrow focus. So most people stick around in the, into the the seven power. So you don't need anything more than what you have, and mm-hmm. and uh, unless you can want to really go ashore and set up a tripod or something using a more powerful pair of binoculars, it's very difficult on a boat because it just has to move a tiny little bit. Uh, so so you, you you got your basic tools, and there's. Lots of things that you can see with the naked eye, naked eye that you can see much better with with the binoculars. I mean, uh, I can remember a couple of times on the loop cruise. I, I, the second time I, I, I was on it, we were anchored in a, in a little cove, and it was dead calm. And uh, Saturn was up, and and uh, the boat had a really nice pair of binoculars, and I could see Saturn good, and I could see the rings. Now, 
<laughs> the captain couldn't see the rings, but you'd eventually see the rings. You know, I mean, they're not great big uh, look on planets with binoculars because the mag magnification isn't there. But there's all kinds of things that you can see. All of the planets are visible with, with your naked eye. And uh, many of the asterisms, uh, Pleiades, and a lot of these uh, things that you can see that will show up if you get some apps for your phone. And they make them uh, for either the iPhone or, or an Android phone, where you hold the phone up to the sky, and, and as you pan across, it'll, it uses the camera on the phone to pick out the star or the uh, planet, and it pops up. And it's fun because you can find out and then try to find it with the binoculars, which is a little harder than with the phone. Uh, but it's fun. I mean, you can have a contest to see who can see what. I mean, if you had the kids kids with you, there's all, all kinds of things to do. And it, and it is a lot of fun. And I've used those apps on the um, when we've been on the boat. Didn't take it to the next step for some reason to pull out the binoculars and see if we could find the same stars and planets that way. But what a great idea. Um, are there some areas on the loop that are better for looking at stars and planets than others? Yeah, definitely. Um, you you want to go, if, let's say you're going up the Hudson. I would not try looking for anything except the moon in the lower Hudson <laughs> because it's it's so such an urban area. But once you get out of cities, it's uh, it really opens up. And um, the, the contrast is, is pretty remarkable. Uh, the the Canadian waters all through Georgian Bay and North Channel, uh, there is not much, uh, not much extra light up there, uh, because you're not near any large cities. Um, Michigan has some beautiful places, and of course the rivers, uh, that's where Jean saw, um, Saturn on the inland rivers. So, uh, even in Florida, you know, if, you, if you're, say, in the panhandle, you're not going to have nearly as much light from the streets uh, that you're going to have um, from, uh, that that you would in, in a more rural area. So, uh, there's, if you just think in terms of if there's a lot of people there, the lighting isn't going to be that good. But if it's a, if it's a quiet area, uh, uh, you know, like we've, we've been stargazing down in the Florida Keys, and it's okay, but if you went further north, uh, way up, way up north, it would certainly be better. Or someplace on the, you know, in the Everglades, there's not much, uh, not much light there. Mm -hmm. But you know, with if you think boating is weather resistant, weather dependent, get into trying to look at the stars because not only do you have the weather, but clouds, I, you know, it, it gets as trying to set your telescope up and look at something, you know, it gets very frustrating. So it, it's got to be a good night. But if you're looking at the moon or something like that, it's even great if the clouds go by and the moon goes behind the clouds, it looks real spooky and, and you can look. Plus, there's there's if you could put your uh, binoculars on a tripod or something, you can put your cell phone up to it and take pictures. You can take movies. There's a lot of fun things to do with, with just with a pair of binoculars. All right. We are going to hold it there. Katie and Jean, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing these kind of tips for getting started in cruising and also the stargazing because I think that's unique um, and certainly something fun for anybody to do aboard. So thanks for sharing those details with us. Sure. Well, thank you. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us again this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Oh.